If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter number 39. If you'll remember, I'll remind you once again, well, we've been going through Genesis now for this uh, many weeks, actually many years. Uh, Genesis can be summarized by talking about four great events. Creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. There you kind of move into a different division. God closes the chapter of those four great events and begins to introduce Himself to us through four great men. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and finally, Joseph. We've been, been talking about Joseph for many weeks now. Actually, only two chapters that we've really focused on Joseph. But God has been showing me some things as we preach through Genesis and uh, revealing himself to us through this wonderful man. Just a few short weeks ago, I preached through Genesis chapter number 39. And in those couple of messages, we talked about Joseph's integrity. Now, I want to read you just now Genesis 39, beginning at verse number 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down hither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we've opened up your word and read it. God, you told us that it would not return unto you void, but would accomplish all that you set it out to do. So God, I need your help this morning to communicate what thus saith the Lord in a way that your people can understand. I believe this is something that we desperately need to hear. So help us to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. We talked about Joseph's integrity, his integrity of worldview, his integrity of responsibility, and his integrity of identity. And we defined integrity as the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, the state of being whole and undivided. In other words, integrity is that quality of being which allows a person to live in such a way that what comes out of their mouth is shown in the way they conduct themselves or the way they act in the world in relation to other people and in relation to God. But after finishing Genesis 39, I couldn't help but feel that there was something I was leaving out, uh, something that I was uh, missing. And I believe the Lord showed me something in this chapter that while it's very, very difficult to explain. And it's not explicit in this chapter. It's implicit in this chapter. 
Is it something that's important for us to hear and understand? So today, for just a few minutes, I want to talk to you about the two big R's, rights and responsibility. Now, explaining this concept to you this morning, people, is going to stretch me. It's going to stretch my limits of understanding myself, my limits of communicating what God has shown me to you, uh, my ability to take something that may be complex and simplify it in a way that it can come out of a person's mouth, into their ears, down into their hearts, and help that person see how they're to conduct themselves in a world in relation to God and to their fellow man. Uh, I'm going to do my best to stay on task. Uh, Y'all need to smile and wake up a little bit, so I'm going to tell you Shane this morning. If you see Shane going like this, because I told her, I said, uh, Shane's really been praying for me because she understands how difficult a concept this is to communicate, um, but she also understands how I have a tendency to go sideways, right? So if she sees me going sideways up here today, she's going to go like this to get me back on track, all right? Is that okay? To try to help me uh, stay on task this morning as I talk about the two big R's, rights and responsibilities. You see, we're living in a day, church, where there's very, very much weight giving or given to the rights of men, the rights of people. As a matter of fact, in our nation, in our culture, even in the world, uh, all you hear about are rights, my rights, my rights, my rights in relation to you or my rights in relation to the government or my rights in relation uh, to how I conduct myself in the world. Eleanor Roosevelt gave a speech in 1948 to the UN Commission on Human Rights, and here's what she said. Rights begin in small places, close to home, so close and so small that they cannot be seen on any maps of the world. Um, the United Nations... 60 years ago, uh, put out this great document, the UN Declaration on Human Rights. And in that declaration, they laid out, I'm not going to read it to you, but basically uh, the rights of individuals uh, to be free from persecution and to be free from uh, religious persecution, the right to be able to speak freely and to believe freely and to be able to conduct themselves in such a way um, that they could uh, do what they feel like is best for themselves and their family uh, in the world. And, and they, put up, they put this out, and over the course of time since then, we focused on those rights. Well, I believe in rights. I believe in their founding documents, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States, and even fundamentally, theolo or not theologically, but conceptually uh, and philosophically, I believe with that, uh, the UN Declaration of Human Rights. But if we just speak of human rights and leave out the necessity of human responsibility, 
Well, we get to where we are today. I mean, turn on the TV and you see young people out protesting. Give me my rights. Give me my rights. Give me my rights while they're literally burning buildings, turning over cars, destroying property that belongs to others. And while they're saying, give me my rights, they're taking away the rights of others uh, to be able to live and function in this world. So we've elevated rights above responsibility. Um, I believe if you look at the Word of God, and you've heard me say this so many times from cover to cover, it's one book, one story. Um, That one of the fundamental uh, teachings of the Word of God is while we're born with the image of God in us. Are you not thankful for that this morning? I mean, each of us is born, we have within us, placed there by God Himself, the spark of the divine in us. And with that spark of divine comes certain human rights that are inalienable, that are self-evident. But it's not so evident. It's not so obvious in the Bible. Those responsibilities in carrying out and living out those rights in the world. They're there. But we've got to dig and and see those responsibilities. We hear today about, I'm going to give you an example. A woman's right to choose. You hear about that all the time, right? Anybody that turns on, you hear, it's there, it's in front of us. We cannot get away with us, with that. But how often do we hear about the responsibility that we have as individuals to conduct ourselves in such a way that we're not forced to make a choice between bad and worse? Because we focus on the rights and leave out the responsibility. Uh, It's considered almost a universal human right today for two people to get together and say, okay, we kind of like each other, and I'm not going to make a commitment to you because I really don't like you that much, and you're not going to make a commitment to me because you really don't like me that much. But what we're going to do is we like each other a little bit, and we want to leave a way out, so we'll just start living together and cohabitate with each other and... The world better not say anything about it because I've got a right to do what I want. But we leave out the responsibility that two people who come together, who have sexual relations with each other, the responsibility that they have in relation to that offspring that may come from that sexual relationship. You see, study after study after study has shown that the the best place to raise a children is within a two-parent home. 
Now, I know that things happen and there's forgiveness and there's redemption. So if, if you're here this morning and you're raising a child by yourself, you, you, you uh, uh, go to God and say, help me do this to the best of my ability with your help. And, and God can work all that out some way, somehow for His glory. But it does not negate the truth of the matter that the best place to raise a child is in a home with a mother and a father raising that child. As a matter of fact, we talk about that right and the right to do what you want to without any uh, corresponding responsibility in relation to the child, that person, or the world. And we also know that when people do that, it brings me into the equation. Because the fact of the matter is, the number one indicator of childhood poverty is whether the mother and father of that child have decided to commit to each other for life and take those wedding vows and get married. That's the number one indicator. As a matter of fact, if we'd simply stress the responsibility uh, of uh, men and of women uh, to marry instead of just doing whatever feels good, we could just about wipe out childhood poverty without having to come to me and pull what's out of my pocket to pay for somebody else's irresponsibility. Amen? Amen. That's the truth of the matter. But we stress the rights above the responsibility. Now, I told you this was a difficult concept that was not explicit in this chapter, but is implicit in this chapter. And you say, Keith, why? What are you talking about? Well, as we read chapter 39 of the book of Genesis and Joseph, every human right that we would think that should be available or readily there for a man gets stripped from Joseph. I mean, his freedom, his right to move, his right to talk, his right to say his opinion. I mean, even the right to spend time with his daddy gets taken from him and taken away. But throughout the whole chapter, as we look at Joseph and his life, we see Joseph simply fulfilling the responsibility that he has in relation to God and in relation to his fellow man without complaining, without grumbling, without stressing his rights. And what does God do? God uses that for not only Joseph's good, but God uses that for the nation of Egypt's good, a, a pagan nation that's rejected God. And not only that, God uses it for the good of Jacob and his family so that they can eat. So you could conclude from that, though it's implicit, not explicit, that when we focus on our responsibilities and let our rights just take care of themselves, then in and through that, God can work and use that as we uh, act responsibly in relation to Him, to those around us, in the world in which we live, to bring about the ultimate good and what's best, not only for us, but for others, for our family, for our nation, for our culture, and all the people around us, and ultimately, and most importantly, for God's glory. But oftentimes, we simply want to focus on our rights without a corresponding focus on our responsibilities. If you'll turn in your Bibles back to Genesis chapter number 4, I want to show you the opposite of this. Um, and then we'll, we'll get into the text. Genesis chapter number 4. I think this is a good uh, story or illustration of what I'm talking about this morning from the opposite side. The Bible says in Genesis 4, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. 
And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. That's a perfect illustration of the opposite of what I'm talking about this morning. Here you've got two brothers. One brings an offering. He does things the right way. He does it God's way. He accepts his responsibility in the world. He doesn't try to uh, uh, say, hey, it's my right to do this the way I want to. So Abel brings an offering to the Lord the way God said bring an offering to the Lord. Well, Cain over here, he doesn't bring the offering to the Lord the way God had said bring the offering. And God said to both of them, he said, hey, to Abel, I like your offering. I respect your offering. I'm going to accept your offering. But unto Cain over here, he says, look, you didn't do things right, Cain. Uh, Things just are not working out with you exactly right, Cain. And I'm not going to accept the way you've conducted yourself and the way you've manifested your responsibilities in relation to me, in relation to your flocks, in relation to the world. So God says that to him. And what happens? Instead of Cain saying, wait a minute. I've not done something exactly right. Maybe, just maybe, I need to change the way I'm thinking and the way I'm doing. Instead, the Bible says Cain gets mad. Well, it says his countenance fell and he was very wroth. What's that mean? That means that he got sad, he pitched a fit, and he got angry at God because of it. And God said, now wait a minute, Cain. Wait a minute. Who should you really be upset at? I mean, I've told you what to do. God's told us what to do. I've laid out how you're to conduct yourself to show your responsibilities in the world, Cain. And you chose to do it your own way. You elevated your rights above your responsibility. And here's what he said. Cain, when that happens... It's literally sin knocking at the door. And Cain, you've got the ability to close that door. Uh, When we read over there in verses 8 and 9, or 7, 8, the Bible says, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Meaning, Cain, you can realize you're not doing it right. Shut that door. And I will accept the offering that you bring to me. But as long as you're wanting to elevate your rights above your responsibilities, I'm not going to accept your offering. And we ask ourselves this morning, all over the world, oh, I'm just struggling so much. Things are not going good for me. I seem to be just trying. I work so hard and I I, I devote so much time to trying to make sure I got food on the table and clothes on my back and to make sure the kids are wearing Uh, brand new $100 tennis shoes and nothing seems to work out right for me. Could it possibly be that God has given us an instruction book for life and and when we decide to lay out the house of God and not be with the people of God, not come together and pray 
to the God of heaven, not open up our Bible and read His book and do our daily devotion. That light came. We're wasting our time in trying to go out and do the very best we can do to bring about the outcome that we desire. We're elevating our rights and saying, I'm going to do it my own way. And just like with Cain, God said, "Uh uh-uh, it don't work that way. When you try to do it your way, I'm not going to accept the sacrifice that you offer. And if you just simply do it my way and stop trying to elevate your rights, let, let let me do this. Let me do this. Over in the book of Hebrews, it says something like this. Don't fail to assemble yourselves together after the manner of some is. But we're to gather together with those in the house of God at the appointed time. That's, that's, that's what the book says. Now, I paraphrased it a little bit, but that, that's, what it, that's what it says. That means at the appointed time, whatever local body of believers are, that you've attached yourself to, if they appoint a certain time to come together to worship, to open up the Word of God, to pray together, to fellowship together, to honor Him, then we're to do that. We're not to do it like the world does it, but we're to do it like God says to do it. Okay, at Zion Baptist Church. Boy, I can feel the evil looks coming already. We've appointed the times of worship to be basically 11 a.m. on Sunday morning, 6 p.m. on Sunday night, and 7 p.m. on Wednesday night. We come together at those times three hours a week. So out of 24 times 7, somebody do the math and tell me what it is. It's about 180, 90, some or something like that. Three hours a week come together to worship God and fellowship and open up the Word of God and be obedient to what it says over in the book of Hebrews. But yet, people will leave this place today and they'll go home and they'll turn on the TV and, you know, the Carolina Panthers will be on there playing football and they'll be getting beat again like they always do. And uh, they'll get to watching that thing and they'll say, well, you know what, this is a pretty good football game and you know, I live in America, and I've got a right to sit here and watch this football game. And I paid my cable bill so I, since I paid my cable bill. And it was my hard work that done that. You know, I went out and worked my 40 hours during the week or whatever. And I like watching the Carolina Panthers get beat and their quarterback playing bad like always happens. And so I'm just going to sit here and exercise my right to do that instead of living out my responsibility before God and men to gather together with other believers at the appointed hour. You see, here's what happens. I need you and you need me. And not only do I need you and you need me, but we need each other. So if I decide tonight, hmm, I'd rather watch the football game than come back to the house of God and fulfill my responsibility before God and my fellow believers, then I'm depriving those people of something that they need. Well, what that might that be? Well, my presence, it could be my prayer, it could be my handshake, my smile, my word of encouragement, whatever that might be, but I am not fulfilling my responsibility to that person or to God when I exercise my rights above my responsibility. Now, do I have a right to sit at home and not come back at the appointed time? Sure I do. But like Cain, I can't expect God to accept my sacrifice when I do that. So what happened with Cain? I've got to hurry. I may not even get through the introduction this week. Uh, Well, God comes to Cain and he says, Cain, it ain't going so well with you, and I didn't accept your sacrifice. And Cain, it's really your fault and not mine. And 
if you'd just conduct yourself and instead of worrying about your rights and trying to do it your way, accept your responsibility and, and do it my way, I would accept your sacrifice. You've got the ability to overcome that temptation, Cain, if you'd simply do it, but you won't. And what happened to Cain? He got murderous, envious, and so bitter that it ended up he killed his brother. And I hear people all the time say, if we'd banned guns, there wouldn't be all these killings. Well, when they wasn't but two brothers on the face of the earth, one picked up a rock and killed the other one. That's been going on since the beginning of time, and we ain't going to solve it by getting rid of guns. The only way we're going to solve it is by getting rid of sin. Uh, so Cain got bitter, and he became angry. Now, most of us, if we think somebody's trying to trample on our rights, that's our natural inclination is to get angry. Amen? But God tells Cain here, Cain, what you ought to do is look inside and see what blame you bear for this situation and how you're conducting yourself. Here's a, a quote. I think it uh, kind of sums up what I've been saying. Converging with the language of psychotherapy, rights talk encourages our all-too-human too tendency to place the self at the center of our moral universe. Did you get that? I'm going to read that again. Converging with the language of psychotherapy, rights talk encourages our all-too-human tendency to place the self at the center of of our moral universe. So Cain elevated his rights um, above his responsibility. We need to apply Eleanor Roosevelt's observation on human rights. Remember, I read that at the beginning, to responsibilities. And think of it like this, that responsibilities begin in the small places, close to home so close and so small that they cannot be seen on any maps of the world. The two big R's, rights and responsibility. Well, when you turn over here to the 39th chapter of the book of Genesis, you see Joseph living out that concept. You see, ultimately, if we really stop and think about it, and look at it from a philosophical standpoint, why did God give us rights? I mean... Our founders said it like this, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that we are endowed by who? By our Creator with certain inalienable rights, meaning they're not given to us by government or other men, but by the fact of being created by Almighty God, we have these rights. Well, what's the purpose of those rights? Well, we often leave that out. The purpose of those rights is to uh, live out our responsibilities uh, in relation to God and our fellow man. And we see that in the life of Joseph. I want us to first look at Joseph's responsibility in his employment. Look what it says right here. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And, of course, Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. Now, you stop and think about this. 
Joseph's responsibility in his employment. He'd been sold into slavery, right? His brothers took him and cold cocked him over the head and threw him down in the ditch or something like that. They don't spell it out. God leaves the little details out. But they threw him down in the ditch some way and the next thing you know, these bunch of Ishmaelites come by and his brothers say, hmm, we could make a little money off this thing so instead of killing him, let's just sell him into slavery and that's exactly what they do. And then Joseph finds himself down in Potiphar's house working for Potiphar. Now, we're not going to talk about the issue of slavery. The Bible don't endorse slavery or anything like that. It just simply calls it like it is, and this is the way things are at this time. So he's a slave. He's working for Potiphar. This is the way for him to uh, make his way in the world. He's found himself in that situation. Now, let's put that in a modern man, a modern person uh, scenario. We're down there. We got a job, and that job's going nowhere, and we've conducted our, you know, all of this thing, and we don't like our boss and all this stuff, and we think things are unfair. And all we do is gripe and complain and try to find every way we possibly can to keep from having to do that job to the best of our ability. But that's not what Joseph did. He found himself down there. He was in Potiphar's house. He didn't, you know, wasn't being treated well. Things wasn't fair. But what did Joseph say? Now, I'm, this is implicit. It's not explicit. The Bible doesn't spell it out. But it's there if we look hard enough. Joseph said, I know it's not my fault. I know I didn't do anything to get here. And I know the world's not always fair. And it doesn't deal me an uh, ace and a joker every single time. But while I'm here, I'm going to conduct myself in such a way that my actions would bring glory to God regardless of what's going on around me as it pertains to my employment. I'm going to, the Bible says it's something like this. Whatsoever thy hand desires to do, do it as unto the Lord. So where am I at today? You may be at a job that's dead end and you may think it's useless and whatever and your boss ain't treating you right and you employ, uh, other employees are uh, treating you bad. What's the way? How do you move forward responsibly in that situation? Do the best job you can for the glory of God every single day. Exercise that responsibility that whatever your hand's doing, do it as un to the Lord. So Joseph didn't complain about, hey, things aren't going well, things ain't going my way. He conducted himself responsibly in the face of circumstances that would cause most of us to crumble and complain and say, look, this ain't fair and I ain't taking it no more. But Joseph showed responsibility in his employment. But not only that, he showed responsibility in his enticement. You get down there in verse number 6, the Bible said Joseph was a good-looking fella in verse number 6, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is, uh, is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. Joseph was responsible in his enticement. Now this goes back to what I was saying earlier about we've elevated these certain rights. Listen, I know that if a person's young and their hormones are raging, that there's going to be a temptation to do things that God says not to do. Any of us in here, if we're honest with ourselves, are not going to deny that. But 
There's a responsibility to conduct ourselves in the world regardless of those temptations that may come our way so that it would ultimately bring God glory and be for our good. But not only our good, for the good of the society and the people around us. So Joseph acted responsibly in the face of his enticement. Potiphar's wife comes and she says, Look, Joseph, man, you've been, you're good looking and I want you to come and I want you to lie with me. And in the face of that temptation, Joseph acted responsibly and refused. He said, look, the master's given me all that he has. And not only that, there's none greater in this house than I. He's put all of this on me and I'm not going to let him down. And then he goes on in verse number 9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And then Joseph acted responsibly in the face of his confinement because we know what happened and I'm going to be done. We're not done with this concept though, church. Here's what happened. Joseph acted responsibly and where did it bring him? To prison. He said to Pharaoh's, uh, to Potiphar's wife, I'm not going to do this thing. It's wicked. It's wrong. I'm going to act responsibly. Uh, I'm not going to exercise my rights. I'm just going to simply do what is right in the, in the eyes of God. And the next thing you know, Joseph found himself down there in the prison, locked up, confined. But you know what he did? He even acted responsibly down there. Because the Bible tells us that he got down there and he was locked up. And Pharaoh or Potiphar threw him in um, prison because... His wife accused him of doing something to her and put him down there. And the Bible says in verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison, in verse 22, committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. I want to say this. All across this room, there's people that are hemmed in by circumstances that are beyond your control. I brought up that situation with Cain, but I'm well aware that sometimes life just ain't fair. And in those situations of life, we've got two choices. We can say, my rights have been stripped from me and this ain't right. Or we, like Joseph, can exercise our responsibility in face of the tragedies of life. And in doing so, we'll ultimately bring God glory. You see, God could not have gotten Joseph from the pit over there in the desert to the palace in Egypt without first going through the prison that Potiphar had placed him in. Now, if Joseph would have crumbled and said, this just ain't right, and gotten bitter like Cain and gotten angry like Cain and said, look, my rights have been violated, 
then none of that could have happened. But because Joseph acted responsibly, you see, Joseph was well aware. He wasn't a foolish man. And oftentimes we look at those ancient people and think, oh, we're so much more intelligent and so much more enlightened than they are. But that is not the case and would not be the case. And no doubt Joseph thought about those things and said, look, my rights have been stripped from me and I could sit back here and get angry like Cain and, and, and get angry at being and even get angry at God or I could simply live out my responsibilities in relation to my fellow man, my employment, the temptations that come my way, even the confinement that I now find myself in and in doing so, God's plan can work out in my life. So what was Joseph ultimately doing by exercising his rights instead of raising his responsibilities? He was saying that God's on the throne and I trust Him and whatever comes my way is what is best as long as I simply do what's right in the face of whatever circumstance I find myself in. And I'm going to tell you what, that'll get you crucified today because people want to hear, well, you can just do it any way you want to. But God says that's not the case. I had a conversation this morning with, well, it was me and Brian Gregg. We were talking about that concept. In the church, you know, for years there was that tension between legalism and liberalism. There's always that tension in our lives. Doing what feels good and doing what's right, and the two don't always come into fellowship with each other. So you say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying, when in doubt, do it God's way. Open up that book and know that book. And when things, life throws you curveballs, simply say, I'm going to act responsibly regardless of what I feel my rights may be. And in doing so, we'll bring God glory. I'm going to ask you to stand as I say this one more thing. I am not a Calvinist, church. Now, probably a lot of you here have no, don't even have a clue what that is, but basically there's people who believe that God's sovereign and He chose in eternity past who He was going to save, and you and I had no choice in the matter whatsoever, and that whoever He's going to save, He's going to save, and it doesn't matter what we do, He's just going to save. Well, I believe that, except we've also got some responsibility in the matter. You see... God has done everything that He needed to do for our salvation. I mean, He became flesh. He went to a cross. He died and paid the penalty for our sin. Uh, he uh, rose from the grave and conquered death, proving that He was the perfect, sinless Son of God. And He's uh, here today, and He's calling you today. So everything that's needed to be done for you to be saved has been done. But the responsibility that you have in the matter is to simply answer the call of God. Now, in that rights versus responsibility tension and argument, many of us are living today in the church. And we want our rights to go to heaven. We want our rights to, do, to be able to be forgiven of sin and all of that. But we don't want to exercise our responsibility in the face of what God has already given us. So we say, yes, I'm saved, but I don't want to do anything for God now. Leave me alone. I'm going to heaven. So the call this morning is to, if you're here this morning and you've never 
demonstrated the responsibility, your part in the salvation thing. Come and place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved today. And if you're here today and you've claimed, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and you've never served Him, there's never been a change in your life, come today and be saved. The devil's misled you. If we don't act like a Christian, there's a high, high chance it's because we ain't. And Christian, this morning, if you're here this morning and you're not taking part in the ministries of the people of God, if you're not conducting yourself responsibly in the face of all life throws at you, come this morning and say, God, I want to start doing it right today and act responsibly regardless of what the world throws my way. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. And God, I apologize if I didn't communicate that the way you wanted me to. That's a tough concept. But God, help us to get it. May your Holy Spirit translate it. May the people of God grow as we hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.